Let us now read together what we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 21, question and answer 56. It's on page 498 of your Book of Praise. What do you believe concerning the forgiveness of sins? I believe that God, because of Christ's satisfaction, will no more remember my sins, nor my sinful nature, against which I have to struggle all my life, but will graciously grant me the righteousness of Christ, that I may never come into condemnation. After the sermon, we will respond with the singing of Psalm 103, the stanzas 4 and 5. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, last week I read in the paper about a summer camp geared just to atheists. These people found that the vast majority of summer camps are organized by Christians and they felt uncomfortable among them. They did not want to be made to feel guilty because of their atheist views. And so they organized a camp of their own. One of the girls who attended that camp explained how she, become, how she became an atheist. She became one, she said, already at a young age when she was told the story about how Cain killed his brother Abel. That seemed absurd to her. Brothers don't do that. They don't kill each other. This young girl did not have any understanding of the depravity of man. No doubt she was not taught to understand that either. When you are young, then you are full of optimism, not only about the human race as such, but also about yourself. You think that there is a lot more good than evil in this world. You do not think of yourself as a bad person either. Even though you may have certain bad habits, you believe that you will be able to overcome them with time. Things are not that serious. You have to think that way, else you can't deal with evil. As you get older, you get a little wiser, at least you hope so. And then you realize that there's a lot of evil in this world and that such evil is not easily conquered. However, the vast majority of the people around us never really understand the depravity of man either. They see all the evil around them, yet they still remain optimistic about the human race. Whatever evil you find here on this earth is due only to a few rotten apples in the basket most people are basically good. But let's stay close to home. We all have a hard time with evil. We as Reformed believers as well. When we see the atrocities being committed in countries such as Iraq and Afghanistan and in the Middle East, the bloodshed and the hatred, then we shake our heads and we wonder how it is possible that man can be so cruel. We cannot imagine that any of us would ever do anything like that. 
We also shake our heads as we read in the news about a 12-year-old girl who, together with her boyfriend, stabbed and killed her 8-year-old brother. Together, they also killed their own parents. It's horrible. How is it possible, we ask, that such things happen? How can anybody do that? The reality is, brothers and sisters, that basically, by nature, we are all murderers. We have the same potential as any other human being to commit the same kinds of atrocities. It's within us. And the Bible also clearly teaches that. Paul says in Romans 3, verse 12 and following, There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves, their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. Who is Paul talking about here? Well, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, he is talking about you, he is talking about me. The sad reality is that every single man and every single woman is totally depraved. We can even say that about that little baby here in front of us that has just been baptized. And that's hard for us to accept, isn't it? Potentially, you and I, we could be that little girl who stabbed her brother. Potentially, we could be members of the Taliban or of Hamas. It's only by God's grace that we are not. And the only ones who are able to understand that and deal with that are also the ones who know about the forgiveness of sins. You cannot deal with the depth of the depravity of man unless you also know about the great hope that there is through the Lord Jesus Christ. When you have no hope, then you have to minimize the depravity of mankind. Then you have to minimize the evil that you find around you and within you. And then you have to come to some kind of false hope. You will put your hope in man that he himself can change himself. That man slowly but surely can come to an understanding. And that evil then will become less and less. It's too frightful otherwise. The doctrine about the forgiveness of sins is the heart of the gospel, brothers and sisters. You take away that doctrine and then there is no gospel left. And then your faith is in vain. And then we might as well stop going to church. Then we might as well stop praying. Then we might as well stop sending our children to a Christian school. Then we might as well stop doing all the things we do because we are Christians. It's all in vain. As it is, the Lord God teaches us about the forgiveness of sins. And not just the forgiveness of sins, but also the forgiveness of our sinful nature. And as we will see, that is quite significant. And that is the wonderful news I may preach to you this afternoon. The theme is as follows. The great hope through the forgiveness of sins. First, what God forgives. Second, why God forgives. Third, how God forgives. And then finally, 
to what end God forgives. I will preach to you about the great hope through the forgiveness of sins. What God forgives, why God forgives, how God forgives, to what end God forgives. It's somewhat surprising that the doctrine about the forgiveness of sins is dealt with within the same Lord's Day that deals with the church and the communion of saints. After all, the statement in the Apostles' Creed about the forgiveness of sins is separated from the other ones. That is why there is a semicolon there. And so you would think that that would also be dealt with in a separate Lord's Day. But that's not the case. Perhaps the authors of the Heidelberg Catechism wanted to show how essential the forgiveness of sins is within the communion of saints and within the church. And that's true. It's essential. The church cannot exist without it. If we are not able to forgive each other our sins, then we cannot exist as church. However, the forgiveness of sins is essential in every aspect of our relationship with God and our neighbor. The forgiveness of sins is therefore essential to every single doctrine in the Bible. The forgiveness of sins is the heart of the gospel. And that is why the Lord Jesus himself made the forgiveness of sins central in his ministry. For the Lord Jesus would forgive the sins of the people before he would heal them. And the people wondered about that. They wanted the illness to be dealt with right away. And that's understandable because that was uppermost in their minds. That is what bothered them the most at that moment. However, the Lord Jesus wants them to know that the forgiveness of sins is more important than anything else in the life of a person. If you don't have the forgiveness of sins then you have nothing. Then your health doesn't mean anything either. For without the forgiveness of sins, you stand condemned. We know from the scriptures that the Lord God readily forgives us our sins. We just read together from Psalm 103 where it says that the Lord God forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases And as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. This morning we could experience and celebrate the fact that the Lord God forgives us our sins through the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We do not have to doubt that. There are, however, two things we have to watch out for. First, we have to watch out for the fact that we are not too flippant about this doctrine. We can too easily dismiss our sins and think that those sins are not all that important, since we know that the Lord God will forgive us our sins anyway. A young person may say, it doesn't matter that I get drunk on the weekend or that I go to a bar and do whatever you do there, or I sleep with my boyfriend or my girlfriend, the Lord will forgive me my sins. It's not all that serious. Or someone else may say, it doesn't matter so much that I'm not always honest in my business dealings, 
or that I watch pornography once in a while. There's forgiveness for these things. The Lord God, however, does want us to take our sins seriously. He does that for many reasons. In the first place, he himself takes sin very seriously. He showed that by sending his son, his own son, to the earth. The reason why he sent him was to deal with sin once and for all. God hates sin. And he wants us to hate sin in us and around us. He knows, of course, that we are weak and that we sin all the time. David also expresses that in Psalm 103 when he writes, For the Lord knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. However, that is not an excuse for sin. Instead, it is all the more reason for us to take sin seriously. For if you don't, then in the end the devil will gain control of you, total control of you. You will become lost in his world. You will begin to think that sinning is normal. It's not a big deal. Well, it is a big deal. And then after all, you will not even realize anymore that you are sinning. You become so used to it. And for that reason, the Lord God does not want us to come just with a general prayer a few times a day that the Lord God forgives us our sins. No, you should mention them. Make an effort to remember how you have sinned against God and your neighbor. In your prayer, mention your sins one by one. And don't just think about the sins of commission, but also about the sins of omission. In other words, think not only about the things that you did, the things that you did wrong, also think about the things that you didn't do and should have done. We should have the courage to mention our sins and to be specific. Oh Lord, this is what I've done wrong today in my life. And this is what I do all the time. And this is what I omitted to do. I was once again so impatient. I once again acted in unbelief. I once again gave in to my addiction. I have not sought your honor, but I have sought my own honor. Think about the things you do in the daytime. There are so many things, so many ways in which we sin against God and in which, in which we sin against each other. And as we enumerate our sins, then the sad reality is, is that we will only scratch the surface. But at least you will be reminded of your specific sins so that you can be aware of them and so that you can avoid them in the future in God's strength. We also have to watch out, and that is the other danger, that we don't dwell on our sins. Some people are depressed because of their sins. They have a hard time dealing with it. They would rather not mention their sins. It gets them down. 
It's too gloomy. They don't like it either when man's sin and depravity is dealt with in the preaching. And they would rather hear a joyful message. If you are one of those people, then please remember how compassionate our God is. He does not want you to be reminded of your sins so that you can get down and out about it. He does not want you to be reminded of this so that you can become depressed. No, he wants you to be aware of your sins so that you can realize the great forgiveness there is with the Lord your God. If there is one thing he does not want, it's for you to be depressed about your sins. He wants you to be joyful in spite of your sins. He wants you to be joyful about the fact that his son triumphed over sin and evil once for all and that through the forgiveness of and that through faith you may have the forgiveness of sins through faith you may have the healing that that brings your conscience can be clear that message is that in spite of our sins there is great joy Catechism also says that the Lord God not only forgives me my sins, but also my sinful nature. Remember that I said that that was very significant? For it is absolutely wonderful that the authors of the Heidelberg Catechism added that beautiful statement there. When we speak about our sinful nature, then we speak about the depth of our depravity. For the, mat, for the fact of the matter is that we do not just commit sins, but that we are sin. We do not sin once in a while with intervals of good behavior. No, we sin all the time. And some people like to use their sinful nature as an excuse. Well, I can't help it. Don't hold it against me because that's the way I am. I am a sinful human being just like the rest of you. In other words, please excuse me for I can't help myself. No, our sinful nature is not an excuse for sinning, but our sinful nature shows us how deep the fall into sin is. We sin all the time. That's our nature. And in mentioning our sinful nature, we once again see the great love that God has for his people. We can see the wonderful significance of the statement by David in Psalm 103, that the Lord God is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Brother or sister, Boy or girl, are you struggling with your sins? Well, the Catechism speaks about that struggle. Our confession is a beautiful confession. The Catechism asks the Lord God to forgive our sinful nature against which we have to struggle all, the, all our life. As a child of God, you struggle against your sin. Oh, sure, we're weak. But the very fact that we do struggle shows that at least we have a 
tiny beginning of the obedience that God requires from us. When you struggle against your sins in your life, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, then you can also see the result in your life. In the first place, you can have a free conscience before God. And on the other hand, you will see results. For because of your struggle, the Lord God will bless your life. You can come to church every Sunday and you can pray for yourself and you can know about the peace that it brings, knowing that you struggle against your sin and that the Lord God forgives you your sins. Even the sins you don't even know you have. God forgives them as well. And God will bless your valiant attempt at obedience. We come to the second point. Why does God forgive? Do you think that he forgives you because of a repentant attitude? Well, he does not forgive you your sins just because you have confessed them to him or because you acknowledge your debts over against him. For you see, if that were the case, then you would still be depressed about your sins. Then you would still wonder whether or not you have confessed enough or whether or not you have done it often enough or whether enough whether or not you were repented enough. You see, brothers and sisters, we do not earn our salvation in this way. As I said, the Lord God wants you to be joyful in spite of your sins. And therefore, the forgiveness of sins does not depend on anything that you or I have to do. God is not dependent on our actions. No, as the Catechism says, again beautifully, I believe that God, and here it comes, because of Christ's satisfaction, will no more remember my sins. The only ground of the forgiveness of sins is the wonderful work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God forgives us our sins because of him, because of what he has done, because of the great sacrifice that he has made. The Lord Jesus Christ did everything that God the Father required from us. For we are the ones who brought sin into the world. We are totally corrupt. We are depraved through and through. We owe God an enormous debt. And consequently, we also became polluted in body and soul. And we need total restoration. All that has been accomplished through Jesus Christ. He paid the debt in full. He restored our relationship with the Father. There is absolutely nothing lacking in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is true, however, that if we do not ask for the forgiveness of sins, that then the Lord God will not forgive us our sins either. The asking for the forgiveness of sins indicates that we are totally aware, that we are aware of our total depravity, that we do not boast of ourselves as if the sins that we have committed are not so bad that, we can, that they can be balanced out with the good. If we do not take our sins seriously, then we act as if we do not need God. 
as if we do not need his forgiveness. The fact of the matter is, you do. Every single one of us. And when the Lord God forgives our sins, it is wonderful how he forgives. That brings us to the third point. It says in the Catechism that because of Christ's satisfaction, God will no more remember my sins. That, again, is another wonderful statement in the Heidelberg Catechism. It's a jewel. It summarizes God's word beautifully. Listen to what the Lord God says in Isaiah 43, verse 25. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remember your sins no more. Oh, what a beautiful statement. When God forgives us our sins, then he doesn't even think about them anymore. He will not mention them again. He throws them over his shoulder. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, we should learn from God how he forgives us our sins. We should forgive others their sins in the same way. No longer remember them. No longer mention them. We're not inclined that way, are we? We often like it if we have a hold on someone someone in one way or the other. When we know about another person's sin, then we like to hang on to those sins so that we can have power over them. We do that even if they have asked God and us for the forgiveness of sins. We remember. We'll mention them. And do you know why we do that? Well, there are many reasons. But one important reason is so that we can have power over another person. See? I remember what you did. Don't you dare judge me. Other people's sin make us feel comfortable because it gives us permission permission to commit even greater sins. No, we should be ready to forgive another person and no longer hold their sin against them. You may have a question at this point and wonder whether or not we should also forgive those who do not ask for forgiveness. For is it not true that the Lord God himself will not forgive us if we do not ask for the forgiveness of our sins? And yet, and yes, brother and sister, you're absolutely right. But then remember how the Lord God forgives. Think about the parable of the lost son. It's very familiar. You can find it in Luke 15. The father eagerly and anxiously waited for that son of his to come home. And when that lost son finally came to his senses, the father was more than ready to forgive him. He ran towards him to embrace him. It is true that if that lost son had not returned, that then he would have, then he would not have been restored to his father. And then those sins that he committed against his father would always be between them. Then that barrier between them would remain. But it is not a barrier that the father put up. He did everything in his power to make sure that there are no barriers whatsoever. And that's how we should be as well. We should be eager and ready to forgive others. And to have all barriers removed. 
Forgiveness, however, does not mean that there are no consequences for our sins. Think about David. He deeply repented from his sin with Bathsheba. And God readily accepted his contrite heart. We could read about that in Psalm 32, or sing about that in Psalm 32. But nevertheless, that child that God gave him and Bathsheba would not be allowed to live. And David suffered the consequences of that horrible sin for the rest of his life through the turmoil in his own family and in his kingdom, as the Lord God said to him would happen. Our sins have consequences. If, for example, you already in your youth become addicted to one vice or another, such addiction is likely to stay with you for the rest of your life. If you, young people, lead a disobedient life as a youth, then you will have a life of turmoil throughout your whole life. An addiction to alcohol or to cigarettes or other noxious substances will affect your health. And so I can mention many other sins. Our sins have numerous consequences. The fact that God forgives us our sins does not take away the immediate consequences. Our sins also show our weaknesses. When we become prone to addiction to alcohol, for example, and we repent from it, then nevertheless it becomes easy to fall back into that sin time and again. And that is the case with all other addictions, wrongful addictions and wrongful lifestyles. And therefore we have to be aware of each other's weaknesses as well. Not that we remember the sins, but we remember the weakness. We remember the sinful nature. And we try to help one another to overcome weaknesses. To make sure that others are not led into temptation. And then you do that not in a condemning way, but in a helpful way. Not by throwing their sins back at their faces, but by being kind and compassionate because that's how the Lord God treats us think about Psalm 103 isn't that wonderful thankfully in the life hereafter all those consequences because of our sins will no longer play a role for then we will experience perfect bliss that is what the forgiveness of sins also looks forward to and that is why this Lord's Day has the added statement that the Lord God will graciously grant me the righteousness of Christ. Again, a beautiful statement. Brothers and sisters, when the lost son returned to the father, the father did not just forgive him his sins. No, he also restored him to the privileged position that he had before. He treated him as if he had never sinned against him. He embraced him and he gave him new clothes and he put a ring on his finger. And the father made sure that the son would know in every way that he was still his beloved son. And that he also still has all those privileges of a son that he had before. Why does the Lord God do these things, brothers and sisters, boys and girls? Why does he restore us? Why does he forgive us our sins? In other words, what is the goal of the forgiveness? Well, and that brings us to the fourth point. 
so that, as the last statement of this catechism says, so that we may never come into condemnation. It is not as if the forgiveness of sins is only for now, and that salvation is for later. No, the Lord God forgives you your sins now. And when you ask for the forgiveness of sins, then you are as pure and white as the driven snow. Then all the guilt and all the pollution have been removed. And that happens time and time again. That happens every time you go down on your knees to ask God for the forgiveness of sins. The Catechism says that the Lord forgives us our sins that we may never come into condemnation. And you may say, well, what about the day of judgment then? Are not all our sins mentioned then? Yes, indeed. But not in order to condemn, not in order to rub salt in the wounds, but in order to show the great salvation that you may have through Jesus Christ. In order to show from what great debt you have been relieved. In order to show that those sins are no longer a barrier between you and your heavenly Father. That, beloved, is a day of joy. Not a day of condemnation. As I said at the beginning of this sermon, only those who realize the great indebtedness of man over against God will be able to experience the great joy because of the forgiveness of sins. The Lord God is going to eradicate all evil within us and around us. And we are looking forward together brothers and sisters, to the time when there is no longer any evil in this world, when there is no longer any evil within us. We may have a taste of a world without sin now already. For we may know about the forgiveness of sins, of, of our sins, every time we humble ourselves before the Lord our God. And so we can deal with the evil of this world and put it within the perspective of salvation. For we have great hope, great hope through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who came to deal with sin and triumphed over sin and Satan once and for all. To him be the glory. Amen.